I want you to imagine yourself as a young child, being in a place where you are influenced by the outcomes of a war. And all of a sudden, your home, where you grew up in, becomes a battlefield, then turns out to be a place with a lack of resources. Now, many folks have their own means moving from point A to point B, which leads us questioning, what's it like to be a Somali immigrant? I'm Christian Mondero. I'm Julian Benitez. I'm Dan Hickey. And you're listening to the PBS Podcast, where on this week's episode, we'll be discussing a series of Somali immigrants about their struggles moving to the U.S. and what their lifestyles were like back at their home country. So, to start this off, let's focus on a girl named Ifa Fatah, a girl who informs her personal story on YouTube about her experiences immigrating from Somalia with her family around the 1990s, right before the outbreak of the Somali Civil War though that was the main purpose why they moved. One of the other reasons were to seek better equality of education and lifestyle. Now, Ifa didn't describe in much detail what her experiences was like back at her home country, so I generally don't want to arbitrate what it's like to be in Somalia since I've never been there before. Anyways, Ifa's journey immigrating to the U.S. began by alternating to many locations to sell in, such as Cairo and Egypt. By the time her and her family arrived to the U.S., life for them was like an ocean. It can be calm and still, yet there can be some rough times as it goes on. As time went by, one of the struggles Ifa faced was trying to adapt or like fit into her surroundings because her transitioning their cultures from a majority Muslim place to a Christian nation was a little quote-unquote frightening. Her mother, on the other hand, was a little paranoid for in that sense she had a lot of children and she worries if her children would ever get into gangs or do drugs and all those junk stuff. At this point, the judgments she was experiencing from other people were judgments based on her ethnicity. She says, I think we're losing the culture of identity that we had and getting whatever identity that is coming to the nation. What she said there is still being used in this modern day through media, schools, jobs, public, etc. It's totally based on stereotypes. In spite of Ifra's and her family running their heads through these enclosed thoughts, they are living a pretty good lifestyle in Washington, D.C. The reason why they decided to live there was that her mother knew people travels a lot in the D.C. area. And considering the fact that people flying to a place to another as it may be well-traveled people, are prone in understanding that there are countless cultures and ethnicities, such as African, Mexican, Asian, or Muslim, living in this American country that is recognized to be the land of the free. Referring back to what I said, what Somalia is like, a 31-year-old guy named Molid Hoje, born in Kazmeo, lived in a Dadaab refugee camp for 10 years with his family across the border of Kenya. This time was taking place after the um, Somali war. He was 10 years old when he arrived at the refugee camp. He and his family didn't realize that the camp would unfortunately become a permanent home. A little quote from him in the site on ironnews.org says that, I was only 10 years old when we first arrived in Dadaab from Somalia in 1997. My family did not flee when the civil war erupted in 1991. We didn't leave until our father died beautiful coastal town at Kesmeo in which I was born turned into a battlefield and there was no option but to escape. 
My sisters and I were separated from our mother in our struggle to escape that heartbreaking and indiscriminate civil violence. Throughout his childhood, his lifestyle was surrounded with a lack of resource, resources, such as growing plants, um, education, or like collecting wood to build cover and fire. According to Ben Rollins' book called The City of Thorns, states that families in Dadaab walk out many miles to get the resources they need. Sometimes parents would pull their kids out of school so that they can help their family. Now, Molid is now an active speaker spreading out knowledge to many, many people about the conditions and effects that is happening in Dadaab. He had also expressed his personal story and other stories in tons of local speech organizations. Right now, he's living a good lifestyle as well as um, traveling to Mogadishu to provide free education to that community. Now, with all that big nugget of knowledge I presented to you, let's begin listening to Julian's chunk of information about this entire topic. Thanks, Kristen. Now, how would you like to find your own homeland turned upside down, ravaged by civil war, with your own countrymen going off to fight for a lost cause, when the only hope is leaving altogether? Welcome to Somalia. Unlike some countries, Somalia isn't the most stable, and not everyone who leaves there in hope of a new life is leaving out of their own will. Now, Somalia is a country on the east coast of Africa, with the Arabian Sea and Gulf of Aden to the north and east, and bordering Ethiopia and Kenya to the south and west. Their official language is Somali, and the official religion is Islam. According to the Constitution, it is illegal to propagate any beliefs other than those of Islam. There has been an ongoing civil war since 1991, which started when the Supreme Revolutionary Council collapsed as various armed groups competed for control of the country. Because of the conflict, Somalia was considered a failed state as there was no true government. In 2000, the transitional federal government was established, re-establishing the military, and in 2006, they took control of the majority of the nation's conflict zones in the south. In 2012, a new constitution was passed, and a federal parliament was inaugurated, along with the federal government of Somalia marking the first permanent government since the start of the Civil War. Although conflicts within the Civil War seem to be winding down, the quality of life in Somalia is still somewhat rough. The most recent wave of Somali immigrants to the USA started in the late 1990s as the conflicts of the Civil War grew. Many of these immigrants came to Minnesota, which now hosts the highest population of Somalis out of any state, with 57,000. The number of total Somali immigrants is estimated to be around 85,000, 31,000 of which were born in Somalia. Life for Somalis in Minnesota is without shame, as there are countless shops that sell a wide variety of Somali products, including Somali food and clothing, as well as the latest Somali music and films. As you've seen, Somalia has gone through a lot, including a long stage without a central government, and simply militarized factions fighting for control of the country. Although many people who came to America wanted to look for something better, others left simply because they had to, as they couldn't live in a comfortable place in their home country, as they had long hoped. We will now hear from Dan, who's going to talk about the current events in Somalia. With Somalia having as much of a rich history as it does, one would expect the situation today to be no less significant than it was years ago. 
all of the violence, destruction, and conflict that has happened for a long time inside the country is still pushing people out into new locations, including the United States of America. So how are people being affected by it? The civil war in Somalia has been a hot topic ever since its start in the 1990s, but what is happening now? Because of the prolonged archives of Somalia being terrorized by the jihadist group Al-Shabaab, for a while the government has entrusted the African Union Mission to Somalia, or AMISOM, to help combat these attacks and protect the people of the country. AMISOM is a police patrol associated with the African Union, which has officers who hail from Kenya, Uganda, and Nigeria. Acting as the guard dog of Somalia, these troops will be withdrawn in the year 2020, prompting a new question to dance around in people's heads. What will happen after these troops are withdrawn? Well, the MSOM has trained local police to fulfill their role when the time comes, but there are concerns from Somali government about whether or not their limited number of police officers could handle the sheer force of the Al-Shabaab. The Al-Shabaab is weakening, however. All of this could make one wonder about how the safety of Somali citizens will change, and if they will feel more or less inclined to move to a different country because of it. Speaking of the safety of Somalis in their country of origin, just how safe are they staying in other countries? According to CNN, 92 Somali immigrants were forced to leave the United States, for many of them have criminal convictions. All of these Somali immigrants ended up boarding an Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, chartered plane, allegedly being cramped in shackles, which guards would not loosen up, even after complaints. This led to Somalis filing a lawsuit against ICE, which alleges the abuse of these immigrants on this plane. Because of quote-unquote logistical issues, this flight did not end up arriving to Somalia, and has yet to be rescheduled. These immigrants are still in the U.S. A question could be raised. How safe are these immigrants staying in the U.S. if they are so quick to be forced out and on top of that abused? How safe are they being forced back into a country they left because of its savage conditions? With all of the tension and outrage happening for Somali immigrants, we see some positivity and power of community coming from the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. When you're an immigrant in the United States coming from another country and you can't find a coffee shop or tea house from your country of origin, where do you go? Starbucks, I suppose. Or at least, that's what the Somalis in Minneapolis have done. The Starbucks on 25th Avenue is a plunge into Somali-American culture, as it has become a hub for discussion among their community in Minneapolis. Every weekend, the shop fills with regulars from it, and boisterous debate and conversation ensues as customers chatter about politics, culture, and other things that are on their mind. The Starbucks has also done things to accommodate the community, such as extending the hours during the month of Ramadan. Overall, we do see a lot of people being forced into different situations as immigrants and refugees in and out of this country. This can definitely hurt many and put them in situations they might not necessarily want to be in. However, maybe we could learn a lesson from the regulars of the aforementioned Minneapolis Starbucks who might tell us to adapt to these situations and make the most of them. 
Or maybe we could stand up to the injustices we see put upon ourselves, like what the Somalis who sued ICE did. Either way, we will have to find our ways to deal with these situations. Hello, my name is Oscar Gomez. Today I'll be talking about an amazing person called Hain Rasi Ali. She was born and raised in Somalia. But before we talk about her story, I wanted to say a few words about all of us as Americans. We as Americans never realize how much privilege and freedom we have as human beings in the US compared to other countries, of course. A few examples would be that we never went through forced marriages and forced genital mutilation. Also not having any rights or health care for women. These are only a few things that she went through at a young age. Let's start at the beginning of her story on how everything she went through built her into the strong woman she is today. Firstly, what led her to leave her country was the tragic events she had gone through growing up. She was born in a Muslim family where she received a strict Muslim education and had gone through a traditional Somali female genital cutting, where she was later forced to undergo a marriage with a distant cousin. And afterwards, she fled to the Netherlands to apply to a political asylum. During that progress, she had changed her name from Ayn Rasi Megan to Ayn Rasi Ali to make it more difficult for her family to find her. During her time in the Netherlands, she studied political science at the State University of London and graduated with a master's degree in 2000. In 2004, she worked with a filmmaker, Thu Van Gu, to create submission film illustrating Islam as a religion that supports the abuse of women. Several weeks after the film aired on Dutch television, Vin Gu was murdered, then shot and stabbed with a knife pressed on his body, a letter that called for the death of Harassi Ali. Harassi Ali left the parliament in 2006 following an, an announcement by the immigration minister that her Dutch citizenship was unconditional on account of false statements she had made on her asylum and citizenship application. While debate over her situation raised in the Netherlands, she traveled to the United States to promote her first book, The Cage Versions, which citizens Western countries' failure to knowledge and act upon operation of women in Muslim societies. After attaining her Dutch citizenship, she moved to the United States in Washington, D.C. She was welcomed as a resident followed by the American Enterprise Institute, AEI, for public policy research, a conservative think tank where she continued to study the relationship between Islam and the West and to condemn culturally and religiously rationalized violence against women. Five years later, she published two more books, which address these issues through intense accounts of the abuse and adversity she experienced as a Somali Muslim female, as an upstute, and as an internationally promote author of Islam. Thank you.